Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. And the last time we covered the parable of the ten virgins. Now again, Jesus would speak these parables. It would be open-air preaching. Mixed crowds would hear what he was saying. hundred years, thousand years later, people started naming and titling the Lord's parables. But he just would, he just would start talking and, and putting out these stories. And was a great, it might not know from the title, but it was really all about salvation preparedness. You know, do we have a relationship with Jesus? Do we have a personal relationship? This morning we're going to be covering the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Now, even those who are not Christians, those who are unbelievers, maybe even seekers here this morning, have heard, yeah, I've heard of that. You know, as I start reading the verses, you might say, yeah, yeah, I know I've heard that somewhere. It's very popular, it's very powerful, and I call them the polyvalent parables because they just, it just has, it's almost like a broad-spectrum antibiotic, you know. It goes in there and it just takes care of a lot of spiritual ills, which actually sometimes translate into societal ills. Certainly, if we get the spiritual part right, we'll become better citizens, we'll become better spouses, we'll become better in general. But this parable really discusses, and it, it hits a lot of different subjects. Pride, humility, self-righteousness, haughtiness, looking down on others, thinking that we're better than somebody else. And even in the opening, when we talk about the two groups of people, some even make a character judgment before they even hear the parable. Now, it's really neat because I believe, because if you look at the context, Jesus got, just got done speaking about his second coming. He just got done uh, with the parable of the persistent widow, a parable on prayer. And this parable, in addition, is also about prayer. But it's about honest prayer. And that means that we're not talking to ourselves or a never-ending wish list, but we're literally communing with God. And I believe, in my heart, that this was... <laughs> you know, it's funny, today, we, we don't want to be offended. You know, we don't want somebody on social media to not like our post or, you know, we're, we're so sensitive today to hear any criticism or somebody with an opposing view. But Jesus did that often. And people who are unfamiliar with the Bible would say, wow, that's, that Jesus that everybody talks about said that? I can't believe it. But he would do it to try to get the people's attention. If they were heading down the wrong road, sometimes you have to say things that can be a little shocking to get their attention, to save them from something that's going to harm them. And the religious system at the time was, I mean, I, I, sometimes we don't see a difference today in 2,000 years. It was very elitist. Uh, they were powerful. They got the best seats of honor. They were, they were prideful. They had like an us versus them mentality. And Jesus knew, not all of them, but many of them were heading down the wrong path. But I have religion. Yeah, but you're going towards destruction. And what is the difference between religion and relationship? We'll talk about that as well. So as we jump in, we're going to look at this in five parts. 
Not many verses. Verse 9, also he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So one out of five is who are the characters? Who are the characters? Well, let's look at the groups. The Pharisees, they were religious leaders. You can find this in a secular encyclopedia. This isn't just in the scripture. You know, the scripture, uh, man's discoveries in archaeology and the finding of letters just reinforces what the Bible has always said. I actually have an article in my office that talks about another archaeological discovery where they found the DNA of the Canaanites. Remember, oh, King David doesn't exist. Pontius Pilate doesn't exist. That's all the, all the, the naysayers say. And then, thank God for archaeologists. They dig something up, test it, look at it, translate it, and it's like, yep, the Bible was right. I'm getting off the subject. <laughs> so the Pharisees, they were religious men. They were law-abiding citizens. They had a strict adherence to God's word, often going over what was intended in a suffocating fashion. As a teen and a young adult, um, you know, I went through life searching, and I grew up in a denomination that I tried, and I found it suffocating too. I found it strangulating, so I just quit. I went my way. I did my thing, hoping that I would get to heaven someday, but I definitely couldn't follow such strangulating rules and regulations and, and things like that. And this is what the Pharisees did, and unfortunately today, some under the guise of Christianity do the same thing. Pharisees didn't mix socially with anyone who wasn't as ceremonially as strict as they were. Now, because... I never believe in painting with a broad brush, and neither did Jesus. Notable Pharisees, right? If you read your Bible, Nicodemus, love Nicodemus. John chapter 3, we get the doctrine of soteriology, of salvation, because Nicodemus, a Pharisee at night, quietly went to Jesus and asked him questions about the afterlife. I love it. John 3.16 comes from Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, great guy. He was a Pharisee. Another guy, Joseph of Arimathea, took the body of Jesus after he was crucified, showed respect to it, right? Joseph of Arimathea was a council member. The council was comprised of Pharisees and Sadducees, but because the Pharisees and Sadducees really didn't get along, we can deduce that Joseph was also a Pharisee, but definitely a council member. Two really great guys, and there were many others. Acts 6-7, all the way in the book of Acts, says that many of the priests became believers in, of Jesus after his resurrection, right? And after he ascended into heaven, they gave their hearts to the Lord. That's why, we, again, we don't paint with a broad brush, and Jesus never did as well. Um, the tax collectors, they were agents of Rome. They had a low moral character. They didn't care if you were rich, poor, middle class, whatever, but when they were done collecting their taxes for Rome, they kept collect a little bit more for themselves. 
and they had Roman soldiers there to guard them. So they pretty much could do what they want. They were extortioners. Uh, (laughs) There's a little chuckles, you know. Sometimes you see some of these IRS scandals, and you're like, wow, man, they really have a lot of power. Okay, I hope they don't listen to this, and they're going to audit me all of a sudden. But (laughs) But to make matters worse, the Jewish tax collectors didn't care. They didn't give any breaks to their fellow Jews. And a Jew who was observant would look at that person and think, what a sellout. What a traitor. They hated them. They hated them. Notable tax collector who turned his life around was Levi, who was called by Jesus Christ and left his tax booth, later called Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Tax collectors also, isn't it amazing? You kind of keep company with people that are like you. So the Pharisees had their group. Probably nobody here would be able to hang with the Pharisees. And the tax collectors had their group. And I love this, that when Matthew gets saved, he throws a big party, and he invites Jesus. And who else does he invite? All the tax collectors and sinners, the Bible says. So cool. He wanted to see his buddies get saved too. Of course, he stopped ripping people off. Zacchaeus did the same thing. But Matthew was so excited for his newfound faith, and these were his only friends, sinners and other tax collectors. And the religious system criticized Jesus for going to these places, but his his idea was to win them over. A lot of times the Lord's parables were ambiguous, they were vague. But in this particular one, Jesus touches a nerve because he starts to call out two groups. Didn't do that before. A woman went before a judge. A man was sowing in a field. Here he speaks specifically about Pharisee and a tax collector. And he says they were far off. Now, was this an actual event? Some people argue about that. Or was it just a hypothetical? I don't think it really matters. Either way, he used it to express a point. If it was an actual event, a tax collector, especially a Jewish one, if he was at the temple at all, he would not want to be seen. He might be stoned to death. And a Pharisee would be repulsed to be anywhere near a tax collector. And you get that. If you're hearing this for the first time, you get it in the few verses that I've read. Verse 9, the second out of five is, who is the Lord addressing? Well, it's right in the beginning. He's addressing those with these types of characteristics or tendencies. The first one is, those that trusted themselves. You know, today, you know, maybe in more wealthier cultures, people trust in riches. But there's a large section of the population, wherever you go, that they trust in themselves their abilities, their gifts, their intelligence. It's the God of self. I'm self-sufficient. Unfortunately and sadly and deceptively, self-deceptively, they also trust in themselves to get to heaven. You've heard it, I've heard it. Well, I never killed anybody. (laughs) And there's some people who have killed somebody and have truly repented and they're going to heaven. It's not a good standard. I've never killed them. See, what we have to do is we have to marginalize other people and say, but I'm not like them. And that's what Pharisees do. And people do that too. Trusted in themselves. In addition, they thought they were righteous. I'm going to go into a little bit of doctrinal um, understanding a little further down the road here, but we're supposed to look to God to be declared righteous or spiritually justified to trust in the work that God did. Isn't that amazing? People trust in their own works, but 
we're supposed to trust in God's work, whether it's the Old Testament and the, the sacrifices which typified what was going to happen in the New Testament with Jesus Christ sacrificing himself, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sin of the world so that we could all have life, so our sins could be dealt with. But they thought that they were righteous. So not only did they think they were self-sufficient to get to heaven, but they also thought that their works were perfect. Just like, and again, these are, I love to, I don't want to say debate, because I just really want to win people to Christ. I really do. I'm not so much into the arguments, although I've had arguments. <laughs> I've had debates. Um, and it does sharpen us sometimes. But my goal is always to bring people to the cross. That's my whole life's goal. But this is interesting because in addition to people saying I've never killed anyone, another thing that people say is, well, my good works will outweigh my bad works. Good works over bad works. I challenge anybody, and this can go out to any of your friends or atheists you might know, I challenge anybody to find anywhere in the Old Testament or the New Testament where it says that if your good works outweigh your bad works, then you get into heaven, you get a pass. It's not a fair system. What is a bad work? What is a good work? What about when the bad works aren't so bad and the good works aren't so good and there's a blurry line there? We, as human beings, we love to look for a loophole. My works are perfect. No, they're not. God's work is perfect, and that's what saves us. And also, what did they do? They despised others. My pastor, I remember a lot when I was a, a new believer, he spoke a lot about the Pharisees and he spoke a lot about Pharisaical behavior. And it's really sad because this type of behavior appears in churches, even in Calvary chapels. And it's sad because some come to churches with, a, with an attitude, with an air of superiority as if they've arrived. You know, and what usually it, it happens is they look around the church and they, they start to be critical. Instead of considering making friends in their family of God, they're just so great. The more we elevate ourselves, the more we're going to look down on others. You see what I'm saying? It's just a natural inverse relationship. And then ultimately comes the fall. Why speak of Pharisees today? Well, because even though the Pharisees have died, their movement has died, their spirit is still alive. We know Jezebel has died, but Jesus in, in Revelation speaks about the Jezebel spirit that's still alive. And it all comes from the evil one. We talked about the, the parable of the wheat and the tares and how Satan will, will send those with the wrong motives, not necessarily saved, into works of God to try to mess them up, to try to cause a bad uh, picture so people aren't drawn to that. Pharisaical behavior, cold, uncompassionate, haughty, sanctimonious. I'm better than you. Prideful. Prideful. What I don't get, and I've seen this, is those who come out of the world. I came out of the world. I got saved somewhere around 25 years old. I came out of the world, and I was so happy to be saved. I was so happy that I finally got it, that God worked on me for so long that I don't look down on other people. You know what I'm saying? But there are some that come out of the world, somehow they get into a church, and there's, there's roots inside of them, roots of pride that are never fully yanked out. 
And now they're saved or they, they come into the church and they start to look down on others that are coming out of the world. That's weird. It's almost like you want to get into the door, but then you want to close the door on everybody else. And Jesus said that about the Pharisees in Matthew 23. You know, the whisperers. Oh, did you know her marriage is falling apart? Oh, did you know that he can't hold a job? It's like they spend much of their time, instead of getting into the Word, fellowshipping, getting close, to point fingers at other people. Pharisaical behavior. You know what's amazing? Jesus used this parable to be corrective, to be convicting, to lovingly try to divert his hearers away from their path and away from their sanctimonious behavior. And here's the irony. Who is he disciplining? Not the tax collector, <laughs> the Pharisee. You could imagine how this infuriated the religious system, and they were one of the biggest proponents of putting him on the cross because he was ruining their scheme, their, their gig, you know, he was their shtick, their whatever you want to call it, Ponzi scheme. And they hated him for it. They hated him. And you know what's funny? When you're wrong and a person comes to you lovingly and tells you that you're wrong and tells you why, you could either just break down and be vulnerable and say, you're right. Or you can get angry and lash back out at them viciously because they're getting too close and you don't want it to be up. You don't want to change. The third out of five is the Lord gives us a glimpse into the men's hearts based on their actions or their fruit. Verse 10, the Pharisee and the tax collector go to the temple to pray. Now, the temple was very interesting. There was a structure, a large structure, and there were several courts. Okay, And I think the, 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 court, the two courts at the end, at the furthest from the place, was the court of women and the court of the Gentiles. But what the Pharisees would do because they were on the council, they were in the religious system, they would always get the best seats, they would always get to the front, you know, they probably had a green room for them <laughs> to, so they could hang out and, and be comforted before the, the service started. Uh, and the, if there was a tax collector at all, at all, they would be on the outskirts. So in this parable, they're, they're close enough to know that each other is there, but they're also far enough not to be uh, an incident. Verse 11, the Pharisee prayed thus within himself. Jesus is, is keying us in on the man's heart. You know, are we praying to God if we say, I think, I am, I feel, you know, Lord, I think you should do it this way, and I want, and I need, I don't know. Is that a genuine prayer? It sounds like we're leaving God out except if we want something from him. You wouldn't do that in a relationship because you wouldn't be in that relationship very long. So why would we superimpose that on a relationship with God? It makes no sense. He's the author of relationships. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed. He focused on his own perceived greatness and not God's. He said the following, and I paraphrase this, thank you that I'm not like any of the garden variety degenerates out there, especially that guy over there. You know what I'm saying? Or thank you for making me so darn perfect. You know what's amazing? If you look at some of the prayers of the religious systems and some of the, or the, some of the religious leaders and some of their sayings from the first century, they were pretty messed up. They almost said, I am... Actually, one was, 
Thank God I'm not a woman. Thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God. These are actual prayers. That it's not, it, this is out, even outside of Christianity, these things are sexually recorded. Crazy stuff. You ever meet anybody like that? What about in the church? Now he moves to why he's perfect. Well, I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I possess. Well, it's good to fast. The Bible talks about fasting. It's good to give to your house of worship. You know, someone's got to pay the bills. But not with the wrong, atti- the wrong attitude. The heart motives behind the attitude can ruin our actions. Isn't that amazing? A good action can be ruined by why we're doing it. Maybe a staged photo op with somebody less fortunate is like perfectly staged so that you can put on the website or something like that. Um, we're going to be in, I'm tipping my hand, Isaiah. We're going to go into Isaiah after the parables. But right in the first few chapters, God is like, I'm tired of your burnt offerings. He's saying to the prophet, he's saying to the people through the prophet Isaiah, you know, you guys are offering all these things, these rituals. And, and that's what religion does, ritual, ritual. Instead of giving our hearts to God, we give them something minor because that relationship's too much to maintain. We'll, we'll get to that in Isaiah. All the things that God instituted in the temple and the courts, he said, I'm, I'm sick of them, literally. I, I, can't, I can't even stomach it anymore. And that's really sad. Well, the Pharisee's attitude was pretty much, hey, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there, that tax collector. And I've used this a lot, and I, I've heard this in our culture. Those people... And every group of people can fall into an attitude of, well, this is us, and that's them. Us and them. Those, I don't care who it is. Anybody can fall into this prejudiced uh, type of attitude that people have. You know what's amazing? When Christ and the disciples were going through the towns, and James and John and um, the Samaritans, some of the Samaritans didn't welcome them. And James and John came to Jesus and said, shall we call fire down from heaven on them like Elijah did? And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. A little bit of a paraphrase, but you're not that type of person. You don't know the type of role that God has for you. But those people rejected us. Relax. We're here to win them, not to destroy them. Do we want to reach people or do we want to condemn them? Especially when we think of the unsaved world. We could easily, I could be up here for an hour just talking about people. I can look at a news article, I can just talk about all the bad people about, all those people that aren't us. But do we want to reach them, or do we want to condemn them? See, this is a community church. On any given day, somebody may walk in because they saw, well, there's a cross on the building, there's a, you know, looks pretty. Maybe I'll see what it's all about. Do we want to reach them, or do we want to condemn them? Do we want them to feel that they want to come back next Sunday, or do they want to feel unwelcome? Listen, I don't ask, I don't, do, I don't interrogate, I don't do uh, interviews and find out what you're into and what your lifestyle, it's not my business. I just want you to receive Jesus. Let him do that. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, let's get to some of the actions of the tax collector now. Let's look at the difference. He stands afar off, probably in the back somewhere. He probably thinks, I'm not worthy to be close to God or close to God's things. And, you know, that Pharisee, 
does do a lot of stuff, maybe I'm not worthy to be next to him. Completely different attitude, opposite attitude. He bows his head and beats his breast. And in the Greek, it's, a, it's, a, it's understood as it's a continuous action. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And you know what that did? What, what came out of his mouth was a reflection of his heart. And what that did was that opened the door to repentance. It opened the door to change. Now, don't misunderstand the Lord. And you know what's really crazy? When we take God's word and we read into it our culture, that is always dangerous. That's called eisegesis, which is the opposite of exegesis, where we want to pull out what God has for us, the meaning in there, not take our own ideas and superimpose them into the scripture. That's always dangerous, and it never ends well, and that's why there's so many cults out there. But this tax collector was a bad guy. He ripped people off. Maybe some poor people. He was not a good guy. There's a movement today that makes criminals, terrorists, and generally bad people victims. You know, it goes back to Bonnie and Clyde, and sometimes they see young people wear the Che Guevara shirt. The guy was a bloodthirsty killer. Read a book on history before you put that shirt on. Come on. You know, who are we glorifying today in our culture? But Jesus, oh, Jesus. What did Jesus ever do to you? You know what I'm saying? Even those who are antagonistic, whether it was back then or today, can't really give a reason why they don't like Jesus. Well, some church people, okay, we can concede to that, but don't confuse bad behavior of church people with Jesus. Jesus every, is, is awesome to everyone, you know. Both men were sinners, but only one acknowledged his sin. Four, verse 14, four out of five. The Lord reveals which of the two men was justified and why they were justified. And this is a doctrinal statement. You can see, God can see, not we, God can see through the heart of everyone. You know, we might be fooled by a lot of folks. We might be able to fool others. But God sees everything. So the tax collector was justified. Now, a little doctrine here. What does that mean? It means he was declared righteous by God. This is a positive action. There's positive actions and negative actions. Some take away, some impute or credit. God credited him righteousness this tax collector why because it was on the basis of the man's faith and belief in god and the fact of what jesus did on the cross now in the old testament before jesus actually died on the cross those that sacrificial that atoning system was a precursor or typified christ's coming for that perfect work atonement or a covering in the old testament it's almost like when you you know, maybe have, go to an accident scene and it's not pretty. And the officers or the first aiders put a blanket over the situation because it's, it's a horrible thing to look at. Well, our sin is horrible. And God sees it for what it is. So in the Old Testament, he covered that sin. It was a temporary covering until Jesus came and died completely in line with Leviticus 17 in the Old Testament, and he, that was the perfect and ultimate sacrifice. And what happens is, when we believe in the finished work on the cross, or God's work, and not our work, we're justified. We're declared righteous by God. Make sense? And that's a fair system, because everybody can do it. You don't need money. You don't need physical prowess. You don't need um, swag. You don't need any of those things. You just need to have faith and believe that God did it. I love that about him. Well, Jesus tells us that 
It was the tax collector who went home justified. Some people have a problem with this parable. They don't get it. It's all about the heart. It isn't about the exterior, it's about the interior. By the way, this would have, and I, I said before, they, this would have infuriated anyone in the religious system who would have heard this. Now, don't get me wrong, and don't get the Lord wrong, and don't get me wrongly assume that I'm saying something that Jesus said that he didn't say. Are, are religious people bad? No. Are denominations bad? No. However, they're bad if that's what our reliance is on. Well, I'm a, a Wesleyan. Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, I'm a Presbyterian. It's really not going to do anything for you. You know, I made this sacrament. I made that right. means nothing to God. Have you given your heart to Him? Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? That's what means everything. Unfortunately, over 2,000 years, men and women can make themselves believe anything if they do it enough times. And they build big buildings and they have big trust funds and they get their names you know, out there. doesn't mean anything. If you were on a desert island and there was no church and you gave your heart to the Lord, you're good. <laughs> right? And it's happened. I, I read history. People get shipwrecked all the time. But don't wait for that to happen to, you know, to give you, your heart to the Lord. Five out of five lessons learned. How do we see ourselves in this parable? Because when Jesus told the parable, he wanted there to be introspection by everybody. If Jesus came in bodily form right now and I stepped aside and he started telling this parable, how would we at Calvary Chapel Crossfield see ourselves after hearing the parable? And you know what the good thing is? If some see themselves as, you know what, I'm a little bit of a Pharisee. That's a good thing because we can change. The Bible says that we can change. Or I'm, I'm a tax collector. I'm actively doing these things. You can change. I can change. Beautiful thing. The Pharisee thought he was better than other men. The tax collector had no delusions of grandeur. The Pharisee relied on himself. The tax collector relied on God. I looked up that word when he said be merciful. The Greek word is a big word, halaskamai. And that means to be, Lord, be merciful through your atoning sacrifice. Sometimes when we go into the dead languages, the the meaning just, just really opens up to us. Be merciful through your atoning sacrifice. Lord, I want to trust in your works, not my own. The Pharisees' prayers were eloquent. The tax collector's prayers were honest. I personally prefer to work with a a tax collector over a Pharisee any day. They're just easier to work with. Pharisees are high maintenance. You know? (laughs) And I'm going to be honest with you, I can't be a Pharisee. Listen, I... I have problems in my own life too. I have my trials. I'm not going to come here and pretend I'm perfect. That, that's a lot to maintain, by the way, when you put that persona out there. It's a lot of work. It's a full-time job, you know what I'm saying? So, I had a girl one time come in and say, um, I shook her hand for the first time, and she said, hi, I'm a heroin addict. I said, hi, I'm Pastor Joe. Welcome to our church. And you know what? I think she was trying to see my reaction she was here for a while, did really awesome, um, moved away. She's got, she got a great job now. You know what, though? What if the first person she met would have went, oh, oh, you people, you know what I'm saying? I really, you know, we, we've got to present that welcoming and let the Lord do the work in people's lives. 
I'll just tell you, I, I did ask my wife for permission, so <laughs> she's smiling back there. You know, when we started going to church, we were received, and I think part of the reason we stayed was because we were really welcomed. And, and let me tell you something, we were some rough customers. I mean, we came right out of the world, the way we looked, our attitudes, and uh, we were completely worldly. But somebody kept pestering me about the church, so I finally went, reluctantly. And it was some really friendly people. But there were also some Pharisees, you know. Um, and I don't get it. I don't get the behavior. I know my wife, um, is, I remember it as clear as day, there was an older woman who was sort of mentoring her, just kind of real crusty. And then they had, hadn't talked for a while, like several months, and then Heather saw her again. She goes, I'm pregnant. And the woman went, oh. She goes, I got married. She goes, oh. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, just our, our mannerisms, our actions, you know. What are we saying to people? You have to be perfect like me? Well, we're not perfect. I love this. I love a few verses that Jesus, it's just so powerful. You know, I look at it like this. When you become a Christian, in addition to your salvation, God gives you a mirror. It's a spiritual mirror. And you get to see yourself. There's some people who go through life, they want grace, but they never show grace. They want to be forgiven. But there's a bunch of people on their hit list. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't get it. They want to be shown mercy, but they're the most merciless people around. They come to the church and they demand friends. And Proverbs says, do you want friends? Literally in Proverbs. Then be friendly. You know? So it's truth, folks. It's a mirror. And that's what I love that. And I got to see myself and I'm like, ooh, I don't look so good. You know what I'm saying? My hair might be brushed. My teeth might be cleaned. I might have shaven, but inside I'm not looking good. We were told it was great. We had a great men's fellowship yesterday and, and the subject was on forgiveness. And one of the things that came to my mind was, I want to be treated a certain way, but do I treat people a certain way? And that's what we have to go to. We have to go to that mirror that God gave us to see ourselves. Do I have high expectations? And people do this. They come into church. They have high expectations on everybody else except for themselves. You're all shaking your head. You, you definitely know folks like that. Listen, bottom line is I prefer to see myself as not perfect because I'm not. You know, I'm a work in progress, but I'm also not lazy about my spiritual progress. We don't want to use that as a crutch. I prefer to see others equal to me. As the expression goes, the ground at the foot of the cross is all level. At the cross, the only one lifted up is Jesus Christ. The rest of us, we're in the same sandbox together. You've heard the expression with kids, play nice in the sandbox. And God brings people together in the church from different cultures, different backgrounds, different experiences. And he asks us in the local church, you guys play nice with each other. You know what I'm saying? And, and we, we have to look at that mirror. We want other people to be reliable. Are we reliable? And you can put anything in there. I want this, but am I that? You know? Listen. Pharisee and the tax collector. We can't, we can't work our way into heaven. We can't charm our way into heaven. We can't, we can't better ourselves into heaven. It's got to be through Jesus Christ. 
And if we've truly received salvation and we've truly received grace, we won't be a Pharisee. We'll show grace to others. And in every local church around the globe, God wants us to put our petty differences aside, work together. Put our backgrounds, put our experiences, and not superimpose it on the person you're dealing with. But you know what? To work together. So will we work together to achieve God's will in our lives and also in his church? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.